Did anyone else look up the Arne Thompson types of their fairy tales for research? Because I did. The what? Arne Thompson. I like did. Classification of fairy tales. Oh, yeah. yes, yes, yes. I did do a there's, little bit of that, actually. There's, just like, because... too many of them. No, there are, yeah. There's, like, as many classifications as there as are. As there are fairy tales. So it's sort of it's like, why are we bothering now? Yeah. I was thinking of the 12 dancing princesses of their day, and I remember that that type was also a funny type. Hold on, what was it? The danced out shoes. Yeah, I think it's literally like exclusively belongs to a type that's exclusively about shoes where stories where people t- wear out shoes on a nightly basis. It's such a funny way like to categorize it. No, no, that's why this is like so. I would like, what does this say about human culture? <laughs> created so many stories about people wearing out their shoes on a nightly so basis. So many different right, that's the thing too. Like, it would make sense if they were all kind of from Germany, right? So you'd be like, okay, well, maybe one city heard this yeah. from another city. City. But it's like, oh, China's got this too. So, yeah, somewhere in Russia, somebody was also thinking about dancing. <laughs> yeah. How does this happen? You know what that one is, right? The toilet. Yes. It's where they, yeah, it's where they, 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 they all like, like go to like a, fa- a fairy palace every night and dance like all night. Right, dance their shoes and, off. And the king is like, I'm literally going bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> Please follow them. And tell me where they're going and what they're doing. <laughs> where the fuck are my daughters losing their using their dancing shoes? That is so funny. This idea of like the entire. And welcome back to another episode of Why Did We Watch This, the podcast where three friends uh, sit down, watch a troubled movie, have a little themed cocktail, and then talk about it. That's what we do on a normal week. That's what we're doing this week. What? No drinks, no movies, no fun. Uh, (laughs) We're here for another mini episode, and I am your host for this week, Lee Delhanty. Oh, um, I'm Chris Ravel. Wow. If you can guess my name, I won't take your baby. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, guess. Do you think it's Uh, Chester? Hank. Alan? Nope. Brandon? Ooh. (laughs) I don't want to say you're close, but something about that gives me pause. I, of course, am Brandon Drischler, the other one. And, uh, yep, so this is a mini episode in two weeks. Uh, We'll be coming back at you with... Uh, Oz the Great and Powerful. Yes, from, I did not have... You have the info? I do. Don't worry. <laughs> Oz the Great and Powerful from 2013, directed by Sam Raimi, starring James Franco, Mila Kunis, Rachel Weisz, Michelle Williams, Zach Braff, and uh, other people. Zach Braff is in this? Uh, well, not really. <laughs> His voice is in this? Yes. As a monkey. Oh, yes. A okay. monkey, my dude. As a yes, talking monkey, because uh, who better to voice a talking monkey than TV Scrubs, Zach Braff. I also do... That was the character he played on Scrubs, right? TV Scrubs? Uh, yeah, okay. TV Scrubs. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I... I'm... Taken aback that this is Sam Raimi. This is yeah. not how I experience Raimi normally. I mean, he makes weird choices sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Who can say? He's Spider-Man. doing the Doctor Strange sequel. <laughs> he is? Yeah, he's directing the Doctor Strange sequel. Oh, that's fun. Or he was. Maybe, I don't know. Who can fuck? What? Time doesn't matter anymore. I don't know what's real. Mm. He was directing the Doctor Strange okay. sequel. Well, I guess we'll, we'll find that out later. Anyway... <laughs> Yes, Oz the Great and Powerful. And of course, to accompany Oz the Great and Powerful, we will have a drink. The drink we will be making is called a Ruby Slipper. There's no Ruby Slippers in this movie, but it sounded like a good drink name. Uh-huh. That's going to be two ounces of gin, one ounce of lime juice, one ounce of unsweetened cranberry juice, and half an ounce of simple syrup. Just throw it all together in a cocktail shaker with ice, give it a good shake, mix it up, and strain it into your fanciest art decoiest glass to match with that Emerald City nonsense you're going to be seeing a lot of. <laughs> I'm very excited. I have never seen this movie, but I have heard... I forgot this movie exists. I have heard the two of you... I've heard the two of you discuss this movie, and I'm very happy. I'm excited. It's not all traveling. The thing is, like, we forget... 
the movies like this come and go so fast right. these days, and it's kind of a tragedy because like I don't I don't want to forget some of that insanity. Yeah, it was beautiful. So there, there are some other, there are I think two or three line readings from Rachel Weisz that I have in my head at almost all times. <laughs> I'll point them out whenever we get to them. But like she she fucking earns whatever her paycheck. Rachel Weisz is a very powerful actor. Oh, she's great. I just remember like uh, the Good Witch has a pretty good turn too. Yeah, Michelle Williams. Yes, is Glinda, good. which is good so, casting too. Michelle Williams, yeah, good yeah. choice for Glinda. Why not? Although I will say. Uh, Michelle Williams, Rachel Weisz, Mila Kunis together. I guess it's not the cast you would expect necessarily for the big mm. uh, four quadrant. That is certainly true, but I guess that's out. Sam Raimi to a point too, right? True. Yeah, James Franco was an always not choice, for right? Him. But he was not the first choice for that role. Yeah, that's true. Ooh, we'll go into that. Oh yeah, please yeah. do. There's <laughs> a lot to talk about in two weeks. Yep, yep, yep. Um, this week, uh, it felt like a good time to do, to tackle a mini premise that we've had on the list for a long time. I think it kicked off back when we did Maleficent. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was like, definitely like, an, it was there for a long time, and part of the reason why we haven't done it is because every time we, like, need to come up with a topic in a hurry, uh, everyone's like, but I need way more time to think, yeah. to, to prep for this one, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, because we all, I think, want to do it enough that we want to do it well. Yeah. Uh, but the, basically, we wanted to have a time, like, a pitcher's mound episode yes. of old of your yet another. Uh, and this time, we're going to be doing original fairy tale adaptations. Uh, so any any fairy tale can qualify, mm-hmm. and uh, we're all just gonna spin off our own crazy takes on what we want these fairy tales to be. Yeah, um, I'm happy to come. I have two. I'm just actually sort of curious, good, but... real quick. So mm-hmm. there were like a couple different ways I was debating about approaching this, just in general. Yeah, and the one what I kind of landed on for mine personally. I'm just curious if you guys did anything like this at all. Mine was basically more of like the Disney mold of like if you were to make a Disney movie of this fairy tale, mm-hmm. how would you do it? Versus I also had some thoughts about how I would do the fairy tale that I chose as a more adult movie, like a yeah. more like what, what the fuck, Snow White and the Huntsman, all that bullshit. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I stuck with like more of the sort of family Disney mold. I'm just curious, did you guys? Where did you guys land on this? Well, okay, so it's like interestingly, so I I always was torn between two fairy tales, mm-hmm. and uh, one of them always felt like a kind of a really strong, tangled esque, like you know, mid, or, you know, modern Disney yeah, era yeah. animated film. Um, and it did sort of start in that vein of, like, I wanted to kind of keep that energy. Uh, but then I fell in love with something a little bit more, um, spicy. But, <laughs> like, not, not, probably not too spicy for Disney, but, like, enough that I want, I wanted it to feel... Maybe DreamWorks instead. A little less, like, a healthy dynamic, I mm-hmm. think. Um, but still, like, still sort of, still good. Mm-hmm, still yeah. somewhat wholesome, but, mm-hmm. like, maybe a little too spicy for, like, a sort of kid's, you know, role model type movie. Um... And then for my other fairy tale, I knew that I wanted to do something weird. <laughs> I knew it was gonna be weird, and I think I had told you guys that like I had three different directions I wanted to go in. One of them was like just sort of do a traditional kind of fantasy approach. Uh, then one of them was like just a weird like Hal Hartley esque like like because modern Hal Hartley was like weird. Like he did like he did a sort of fairy tale movie called No Such Thing. Mm. And I was like maybe I just wanted to be like a really weird indie film and have it take sort of take place in like fringes of like Americana and society <laughs> or something like that and just be weird and just like you know telling a really sort of surreal like uh, what's the word magical realist sort yeah. of story um, and then the other one was uh, like Nutcracker 3D <laughs> levels of, like, right. just insanity right. and I kind of I didn't really do any of those in the oh. end because I came I think it's sort of maybe a little bit of a mix of the prep of two and three where it's like I did. I did want to. I decided it was going to be a science fiction, and that it was going to. But it was going to kind of be a bit weird. 
Um, so we'll see how how you guys feel about it. But yeah, I had to modern day. I hadn't I hadn't thought about it consciously, but I I was always thinking something more live action, more kind of teen and up, less less animated, less uh, for all ages. Yeah, mine was more just. I think mine was a conscious choice to do something more in that idiom. I think I, I don't know why. I decided to go for that. I, I mean, think, that's... I think it makes sense. That's where a ton of, I think, our reference points for yeah. fairytale adaptations come yeah, from. Yeah, absolutely. I think also because... It's, it's not a spoiler of any kind to say this, but for a while I was doing Jack and the Beanstalk and I kept thinking about Gigantic, mm-hmm. the canceled Disney yeah. movie that, you know, was going to happen and is now off the docket for the time being. And I kept trying to think, like, is there a way that I could adapt Jack and the Beanstalk in a way that would work for something like that? And I just kept ending up with things that were too similar to Jack the Giant Slayer. Mm. So I uh, <laughs> decided not to go that route at all because I don't know what was going on with Gigantic. It seemed a little interesting to me. But uh, I don't know if I can do anything quite that, yeah, of of that venue. Anyway, but yeah, to answer your question, one of mine is modern day. Oh okay. and the one of them is like Disney fantasy kind of. Like, okay, yeah, my mine are very like once upon a time y. Yeah. Place, yeah. All right. Um, does anyone want to go first? I I do have two. I can start with my lighter one, uh, or sure, someone yeah. Else can go. yeah, go for it. All right, so I'll start with um, the one I didn't think as much about because I, I thought it was just going to be my bigger one, but. Mm-hmm. I got really, I fell in really love with my second one, but I came into this mini thinking I was going to do Brave Little Taylor, which is one of my favorite stupid fairy tales, because it's just about, uh, and I looked at the Arne Thompson type, and it, it's a type that's just called Lucky Accidents, but like, it's the, one of the stupidest, like, p- most pointless sort of stories where it's basically like this tailor feels really proud one day because he managed to, like, kill seven flies with, like, one strike Swat, of his hip yeah. swat, and he's like, look at me, I'm so fucking great. <laughs> He, like, sews it onto a belt. He sews, like, seven with one blow. And everyone thinks that he is talking about, like, seven men. Which is just also, like, it's also nuts. He, like, it's like this, is the, like, this is your fault for yeah. not being more specific. You could have said, I killed seven, seven flies with one blow, but you just said seven to one, and people are like, oh, but, boy. So everyone's like, damn, we better stay away from this guy. He's a badass. Right. And, and then, like, at some point, he, like, <clears throat> he stumbles upon a giant in the woods, and the giant's like, hey, I bet I could, like, throw a rock farther than you and he's like sure and the giant throws this big giant boulder really far and the tailor catches a bird uh, and right. throws a bird about this part. and the bird keeps flying and the giant's like shit this guy's <laughs> not fucking around and then he's like wow oh, can't, I can't like carry this tree with me and uh, the giant grabs the tree by the trunk and the tailor pretends like he's grabbing the branches but he just climbs on the tree so the, the giant's just carrying a dude and a tree. <laughs> and at the end of it, the giant's all like sweaty and the tailor's like, all right, we carried that tree real good. And the giant's like, fuck, this guy's a menace to society. <laughs> and he takes him back to like his giant cave and he's like, hey, I made a friend. Let's all like go to sleep. And the, gi- the tailor... Like, doesn't find the bed that comfortable, so he sleeps in the corner, and the giant in the middle of the night is like, I gotta kill this guy because he's a fucking, he's too badass to be alive. And he, like, smashes the bed up, but the tailor's not in the bed. And the tailor, like, wakes up the next morning just fine and is like, hey guys, what's up? And they're like, fuck, this guy's untouchable! And he's like, and the tailor is like, alright, I had that adventure. And then he goes to the, he, like, joins the king's army, and everyone's heard of this guy that, like, giants are terrified of. And he killed seven dudes with one blow. And they're all like, this guy's going to, like, lose his temper. He's going to kill us all. And he, they all complain to the king. And the king is, the, he, they're like, listen, it's, it's him, it's he goes, or we all go. And the king is like, all right, I'll give him, like, a bunch of impossible tasks to do. So he basically, it's like another set of, like, go catch a unicorn, go do this. Sure, and sure, the tailor's, sure, sure. like, smart. And he just has, like, all these ways of doing these things. 
so he like is just using his wits to like you know do all the bullshit. And the king is eventually like, fine, if you do this last one, I will immediately marry my daughter and you can have half the kingdom. And Taylor's like, all right, and he does it, of course, and he marries the princess, and now he's like ruler of half the kingdom. And then in his sleep one night, he starts talking about like making a doublet. And his wife, his princess, is like, this motherfucker is just a tailor. <laughs> what an idiot. And so she tells, like, the king, and the king hires this, like, assassin. But the king, the, the I guess, like, the servants of the king are, like, friendly with the tailor. So they tell the tailor, like, hey, someone's coming to kill you tonight. You better watch out. And the tailor's like, all right. And so the assassin is, like, coming up to the door. And the prince is, like, the tailor's, like, waiting for this to happen. And he, he sort of, like, shouts from behind the door, like, pretending like he's talking in his sleep again. And he does the same thing about the doublet, but he makes it seem like he's a noble person who's yelling at a tailor mm. for making the doublet. And he, like, basically, like, like in the in this fake sleep topping, like, intimidates the assassin away from even trying to kill him. <laughs> and that's how it ends. It just ends... I see why you're attracted to this story. It's especially a because... story, I love it. It's, yeah. it's very much a fastball down the middle for you. A yeah. story about... A trickster so clever, yeah, that he and, like and, and no that it just escalates stop. all the way to the top. Basically. Yeah, asshole fails upward. Asshole fails. I mean, it doesn't quite feel like it is somewhat, but like, mo- like he he, it all starts because of a stupid thing he did to his belt, not really intentionally. But then he's like smart enough that he's just able to just, like to utilize his wits in order to ascend to like the throne, basically. And I I don't know, it's so stupid. I love it, and I think that you really don't need to do a lot to turn that into like a sort of Disney esque movie um, but what I really fell in love with uh, halfway through this concept where I was just gonna kind of be like straight like yeah it's this like you know ambitious young tailor who like decides to like use his wits to like rise the ranks of society um, and you got this like princess character who probably should be elevated to a main character and uh, I just I fell in love with this idea that they're, like, they're really like a combative like at odds relationship and then I Sort of thinking about movies like Intolerable Cruelty, where it's like a like a very dangerous, almost like unhealthily so yeah. uh, rivalry that they have. Um, and so the kind of base concept is that the tailor probably starts the movie um, by like sneaking into, like basically because he's a tailor, he can like make nice enough clothes that he can sort of sneak into this like noble banquet or whatever, where he like meets the princess and. Uh, I got inspired by this song by The Amazing Devil called uh, Pruning Shares, which is kind of like, sets the scene for the whole, like, attitude I wanted, but where it's like, these two, they're at this, like, really rich party with all these, like, rich assholes, and mm-hmm. the, they're the only two there that kind of don't really, they kind of, like, have contempt for everyone, but also each other, um, but they're also kind of attracted to each other, so I kind of like the idea that the princess um, is basically, like, the only sensible person amongst, like, her dad's an idiot, her dad the king's an idiot, all the other nobles are idiots, um, and she is the she's only, only sensible, headed. practical, level-headed one. Uh, but she also has contempt for like everyone else, uh, including the tailor who shows up. And the tailor is like all these rich assholes know what they're doing. Um, and so they kind of meet and have like a little meet cute. But then when she discovers that he's snuck in, she's like, "Oh, it's just another fucking asshole who wants to be like these other rich assholes." Like as if that's anything like worth being. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she. He, like, leaves and basically vows, like, well, I'm gonna, like, like, I'm gonna take this town over by, by storm. And so the rest of the movie is, like, him doing all these, like, cons, as in the fairy tale, to, like, rise the ranks. And she's sort of trying to stop him, and I, I have, like, a sort of Javert-esque, or whatever the character <laughs> was in Intolerable Cruelty that fucking <coughs> nail your ass. Like, yeah, yeah. I want the princess to have, like, some royal agent who's, like, mm-hmm. trying to, like, subvert all of the tailor's attempts to, like, reach, to, like, ascend to the throne. 
And at some point along the way, I think that, I think she probably figures out that, like, actually, it really would not be the worst thing. She kind of sees him as, like, a threat to her own rise of power. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want this guy to get to the throne because he's, like, like, the king's an idiot. I'm the only one that's, like, really good. Right, we don't need another idiot. Yeah, but at some point she kind of realizes, like, I guess, like, actually, he could be, he's not that bad. He would actually be a pretty decent ruler. Um, But I, I kind of like the intolerable cruelty thing that happens where... They, it spirals out of beyond her control, and so, like, I, at the end, they have to, like, team up to, like, stop the like, army from, like, killing him, basically. Um, and I kind of want the giant to be, like, a best friend character, like, the one that he, like, <laughs> befriends and then who tries to kill him. I like the idea that he goes back and, like, and the giant's just now his, like, biggest ally. Um, so I think that could be fun. Yeah. That's basically my pitch, which is kind of, like, a tangled, but, like, a bit spicier. Mm-hmm. A bit more, like... They're a bit, they're a bit more claws involved and a bit more fang. That's it. I like that. Yeah, and my working title for it was spinning yarns. <laughs> I like that too. That's what he does. Yeah, that's my first one. Yeah. yeah I nice. can also imagine that being a like really incredible series of shorts. You know what I mean? Just like for yeah. each of these t- impossible tasks he has to pull off. Yeah, that is one of the things about. Well, a lot of these fairy tales, but especially that one, where it feels like at any given point the story could have ended by now, but then just keeps going. Where it's like, it could have ended after, like, the giant anecdote, but then, no, we have this whole thing about the king setting him on various other tasks. Then it could have ended there, but no, now we have the whole thing where the princess finds out who he really is and tries to have him kill it. So it just sort of... There are a lot of fairy tales, as I found out when I was going through them for this, Mm -hmm. that just feel like... I mean, obviously, storytelling is different. It's based Mm -hmm. on... it's, It's, you know, handing down tales orally from person to person so you're going to have them embellished and changed as yeah. you see fit I'm sure that yeah like at some point somebody told that story and, like, well, and that would happen and right, right, some right, minstrel right. was like Argh. well yes. and, and or there was probably X number of versions that yeah. the one that we're familiar with is probably a unified version yeah. that took something from everyone yeah so I mean it could have been maybe three cycles long and then we ended yeah. up with like right. five who knows I mean like Sleeping Beauty too how you have like the whole thing with Sleeping Beauty how like you have the point where it ends where you would think it would end where like <laughs> the prince or whoever finds her wakes her up he's like great everything's good and he's like now let's come meet my mom by the way she's an ogre yeah. <laughs> and so then you have like this this whole shit to, like, well, like you're like really like what the fuck does this have to do with Sleeping beauty like why are we dealing with his mom who wants to eat her this yeah. even goes back to um like proto masterpieces like beowulf where like the main plot is concluded but then we still go we have to go off and kill going. a dragon afterwards yeah. yeah no there's it's like that was the mini boss yeah exactly <laughs> that was that, that was the uh that was the you know what, you know the, the premium is. dlc boss yes, <laughs> 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 the page, yeah. There were, it's like you can do it at any time in the story, so yeah. even after you've already done the main plot, you can go off and. It's a microtransaction. <laughs> <laughs> um, you get Billy Wolf for free, but you gotta. I'm, I'm good to go next if we're all. Yeah, yeah sure, go for it. Uh, the story I chose, um, I knew it as The Seven Ravens, but when I looked it up, I found out there was apparent. I mean, as these things go, there was a bunch of very similar and. Like, they're considered separate stories because I think there's, like, enough details that are different between them, but the basic plot thrust is the same, which is a large number of brothers in a family that had all brothers and then the youngest was a girl. Um, The brothers... uh, She's very sickly. Mm -hmm. Um, It's implied in most of the versions that it's, like, literally either a gift from God in the Grimm version or a gift from the gods in the ancient Greek version, because Mm -hmm. this was one of the weirder ones that I guess Grimm found and then decided to Europeanize it. So 
in the original Greek version, they take a jug down to a magic healing spring. Um, some kind of shenanigans happen. They accidentally drop the jug in the water. It sinks or floats away or whatever. They're too ashamed to return home. The dad assumes that they're out dicking around, so he curses them to turn them into ravens. Mm-hmm. Um, they just sort of, like, scatter, and uh, eventually when the girl grows up, she tries to go out and seek her brothers. Uh, she asks the sun, uh, the moon, and I think some other celestial entity. That part is usually the wild card, mm-hmm. but you most of the versions have her at least talking to the sun and the moon. Um, she eventually gets a bat claw, because fairy tale shit, and she uses it to get into a magic glass uh, mountain where her brothers are being kept by a dwarf and who tells her the only thing that she needs to do to free her brothers from this form is to give them something from home and they'll be returned back to their human form and that's exactly what happens and then they go back home with her. Um, One of the things I find really interesting and I was exposed to this story through a sociology of folklore class and typically whenever we would read these stories we would then try to research like what was the social context to this like why were why was this a prevalent fantasy mm-hmm. so like seven ravens there's also the 12 brothers six swans um this was all coming out during a time when uh conscription was huge and uh typically when boys would be off fighting it was not uncommon for girls to be treated like the heir mm-hmm. the issue was even if they would end up getting power and money they would didn't have as much control over their life choices because, like, essentially, like, without other... With them being the heir, the dad would essentially, like, choose their marriage and what they were going to do and yada, yada, yada. So these were considered to be fantasies they could have of escaping this overbearing father figure and kind of reunite... Getting back in touch with the family, specifically in a time before, like, this control kind of descended on them. Mm-hmm. Um... I think I would like to try to make it a fairy tale in this adaptation set in ancient Greece. My only thing is I don't want it to be like, I I feel like it's almost an untapped way to do a fairy tale, but I, I guess I don't want it to go into like an immortal's direction where it's like... <laughs> Well, no one wants to. No one ever wants to go <laughs> dirty and lurid. What happens to you, dirty and lurid. But um, my thought is, uh, the the setup can be pretty much the same. Uh, the gods have finally granted this daughter, but she's very sick. Um, I think I instead of it just being like the brothers drop the jug and then out of shame they can't return home. I don't see that like playing particularly well in mm-hmm. an adaptation. So I think what I would like to have happen instead is they are somehow. In like they're tied up with some kind of demigod, or they're like kind of ensorcelled in that kind of way, mm-hmm. uh, or otherwise detained. Um, I think it's going to be like they don't come home for like days, so the father just assumes that they've like abandoned them. He curses them to turn into ravens. Um, I think instead of it just being a random dwarf in a <laughs> glass mountain. I think one of the things that could be is as she's kind of bopping around, maybe talking to these different or having adventures with these kind of larger beings, because we have the sun and the moon. I think in that setting, you could throw in pretty much anything else you would ever want. Um, Again, I wouldn't want it to get it to be like too gritty or violent, but maybe like uh, 
encounters a god or two or, you know, like rides a hippocamp. I just think it would be fun to have that as a lighter kind of adventure, uh, finds her brothers in the glass castle with Apollo, for whom ravens are typically... Um, messengers are... Messengers and companions, yeah. yeah. And um, essentially finding that he's kind of... Uh, he just thought that they were like, yeah, they're just like basic ravens, they're around, I called to them, and now they're like doing my, my shit for me in my, <laughs> big, in my big glass palace. Yeah. So I think this, the last act of this will be all of the skills, cleverness, wits that she's learned over the course of this very, like, outsized adventure. She's going to um, use to kind of, like, outsmart Apollo and thinking he just kind of puts her maybe through, like, a series of, like, games and challenges yeah. that, uh, to eventually free her brothers. Because the, the gods are not exactly kind yeah. <laughs> to the humans. gods must be crazy. They, they must be, Coke bottle. I loved movie. that movie. Did you? Coke bottle. When I was in middle school, <laughs> okay. I didn't know any better. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's the Coke bottle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Coke bottle. yeah they, they come to some shocking conclusions about the mental health of their deity when they see that Coke yeah. bottle. Yeah. <laughs> um, back. Yeah, you won't believe what happens next. <laughs> Click for more. You're not supposed to be crazy. You won't believe what happens next. Um, <laughs> do you know? Do you know what's interesting? Uh, this is just how my brain works, I guess. Um, and you have the additional context of that class that I didn't have. But the second you told, the second you mentioned the idea of the brothers fail to get the water, and then they have to, then they get cursed. My instant inter- interpolation of that was like. Oh, that's their guilt over not being able to oh. save their sister cause it, like causes them to be exiled and in this like raven form. Like that's how I would have handled it. Oh, interesting. So, like their guilt over that would be really. To... And then it could be more about trying to like she could go to them and work through that guilt, yeah. and that's what brings them out of the form. That's how my brain wants. Oh, to that's cool yeah. though. That's very beautiful and melancholy. Yeah, Ooh. that's why I, I do. You want melancholy? Thanks for the punch up. You come to me. <laughs> um, also, I feel like if you like, feel like you could easily have Apollo, like just know that they were human ravens and be like, yeah, so what? Yeah, they're really smart. They're yeah, really smart than they I, I, I can use them. And uh, so yeah, I did take them. Yeah. And well, I am a god, so yeah. so fuck off. I like it though. But I also it's I I thought it was interesting that it was originally a Greek tale, especially this idea. I feel like that happens a lot of times in these Greek or these ancient Greek and Roman stories of this like single person eventually just sort of like ping ponging around that crazy world until they're like outsmarting Zeus or something at yeah. the top of it. Yeah. So I I thought that there was there is something very classically fairy tale about it, even if aesthetically that doesn't really fall into the fairy tale milieu as we are familiar. Yeah. yeah. Into it. Mm. Into it. Into it. Into it. Into it magazine. Into it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I my whole thing basically got started because like I said, I was kicking around Jack and the Beanstalk for a while. I could not think of a way to make it work. So then I just sort of went to like, well, What's some other fairy tales that Disney has not tried to do yet? Like, if you were pitching one of those to the studio, where would you go for this? And, guys, I gotta tell you something. A lot mm. of these fairy tales aren't very good. There's a reason why perhaps they haven't been done. They're evocative in some way, right? Mm. But they don't necessarily work as a story. Half the time, they almost just sort of seem to be, like, 
um, archetypes just sort of bumping into each other. Right. I mean, so here's the thing, right? A lot of, like I was talking about earlier, a lot of times they're not following any sort of conventional structure in terms of where they're going, right? They just sort of keep going and going and going, and then they eventually stop. Yeah. A lot of other times, Chris, this kind of was like more of yours, uh, they, they have a plot that doesn't hold up to any sort of logic, which is sort of a lot of like, and then this happened, and then yeah. this happened, and then this happened. And so like, if you're turning that into something with a narrative background, you're like, but why did this happen? Right. And so it becomes sort of an issue of trying to keep those weird little moments that appeal to you, those like very evocative images, but also trying to find a reason for why this would be in the story. And it's a delicate balance, right? It because is. You could even say that a lot of the mystique and magic of these stories comes in that nonsensical, right. and then this happens. Exactly. So if you try to explain it too much, like you just sort of end up like belaboring a point, making right. it dull and conventional. Right. If you don't explain it at all, it's like you're watching someone dream, you know? Right. And, so like, and that's fine. Not to say that there are no right, good movies that have dream logic to them, but that's not really what... People do not like to hear about each other's dreams right. just because they mean nothing to Nor each do they other. want to watch it for 90 to 120 minutes <laughs> on a screen. So the thing with Rumpelstiltskin, right? It's a weird-ass story if you really sit down and think about it, right? So, like, it's a story about a girl, a protagonist, who's very, very passive. And I get that this is a, you know, a fairy tale from way back in the day. There are a lot of women who are just very passive protagonists who exist mostly because, like, their dad tells them to go do this thing, or they marry this guy and makes them do this thing, and they have no real initiative of their own. And that's, like, of the time. Obviously, that's something you need to consider whenever you're making it suitable for modern audiences. The other thing is, it's like, she's a woman who's surrounded by assholes, this woman. So, like, her dad, who's, like, the real fucking villain of the piece, is, like, talking to a king, and he's like, yeah, incidentally, uh, my daughter can spin straw into gold. The king's like, great, I love that. Give her to me. Yeah. I want more gold. And so the guy's like, uh-oh. And then, like, the, the, the weird thing is, too, is that we never hear from him ever again. He's just sort of like, well, uh, like, I've made my bed, got a lie in it. See you later, sweetie. Gives her to the king. The king's like a fucking jealous asshole, right? Because mm -hmm. he just wants more gold all the time. He throws her in a room and is like, spin this straw to gold. If you don't do it, I'm going to kill you. She does it. And he's like, great. I love it. Do it more. And so she does it two more nights, right? So, like, this king has really nothing going for him except for the fact that he's greedy as fuck. And then at the end, she marries him. And I guess that's supposed to be happy because like she's in a position of power now she has money she's you know taken care of but like you're married to this greedy fucking asshole who's kind of abused you right who's, right who's this yeah he has abused you and also it is something that i never really thought about until i started thinking about it again but so we obviously know the story just just real quick obviously we know what happens dad gives her to a king puts her in a room full of straw she's like i don't know how to do this rumpelstiltskin shows up and is like hey give me your ring i'll spin this straw into gold she's like great i'll do it it's wonderful does it again another night. She's like, here, take my necklace. Do it again. He's like, great, I'll do it. Comes back a third night, and then she's like, I got nothing else to give me. He's like, give me your baby. She's like, well, guess I'll give you my baby. Mm -hmm. So he does it. The king's like, great, three nights of this. That's all I wanted. I'm going to marry you right now. Rumpelstiltskin shows up months later and is like, hey, give me that baby. I want that baby. And she's like, I, I didn't really think this through whenever I agreed to give him to you the first time. So like, can we come to some sort of arrangement? He's like, well, if you guess my name, I won't take your baby. And she's like, is, is your name Wilbur? And he's like, no, it's not that. And she's like, is, is your name Clarence? She's like, nope, got one more guess. She's like, all right, let me think about it. Then, like, later at some point, either she or someone she sends to the woods sees him, like, dancing around a fire. Be like, I'm Rumpelstiltskin. I'm fucking Rumpelstiltskin. I'm going to take that queen's baby because I'm Rumpelstiltskin. She's yeah. like, aha, his name is Rumpelstiltskin. He shows him back again. And she's like, so uh, your name is Rumpelstiltskin, right? And he's like, ooh, and he either, like, rips himself in half or disappears. Mm -hmm. I've seen somewhere so, he, like, stomps his way down to hell. Right, well, well like, the one that I've also heard is that he, like, stomps his foot into the ground, tries to pull it out, and rips himself in half because he's trying to pull his lick out. Good lord! Which is just, like... How hard... Oh, almost like an itchy and scratchy hurt. Right, no, it is. It's ludicrous. And so, I, I think, like, part... 
part of this also is just like, what am I taking away from this story? You know, like, I feel like it's a story that lives in our consciousness because of the evocative images, because of the concept of spinning straw into gold, mm -hmm. because of this little weirdo who shows up and is like, if you guess my name, I won't do X. So like, is it, is the moral of Rumpelstiltskin consider the consequences? Is it something about the power that a name has over you, which I guess it could be. Mm -hmm. But, like, contrary-wise, she doesn't learn any of these lessons. It's not like she has to end up giving away her kid and then realizes, like, boy, I was a real dummy to I mean, do acts. Well, tales don't really have morals, though. No, that's true. But I guess what it really is is just, like, wh why is this something that people were telling back in the day? Like, what were you expected to take away from it? Sure it? sounds like the story of woman. <laughs> back <laughs> that is just getting true. fucking handed around. Make, make money. Guys your dad's going to hand you off you. to this dude. Right, and, and that's true, but, like, you have something like Beauty and the Beast, for example, right? Where Beauty and the Beast can basically just be read as the idea that, like, maybe you'll be married to a man who acts like a real jerk, but actually he's a good person underneath. Mm. So, like, even if you marry a guy and he, like, abuses right. you, he's probably good deep. Stick around, right. because right. on the things, other side of that... Things are definitely going to get better. Don't leave your husband. There's also a lot of Beauty and the Beast. There's a lot of, like, um, hey, sex is pretty good, actually. A lot of Beauty and the Beast is, like, really... It's like telling women, like, you know what? Sex is, is pretty good. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. You should, you'd enjoy it. Yeah. That's true. Don't be afraid of it. <laughs> I just pulled my notes here real quick. Yeah. So, uh, I, I guess the idea is that, um, like I said, I don't really know what the point is. Is it about, like, not boasting? Is it about consequences? Is it about your identity? So it's just sort of like, the idea that I have when I was trying to adapt it is, like, pick one of those things <laughs> that you can make the story be about, mm -hmm. and then work backwards from there, right? Um, the weird thing also, I guess... I sort of mentioned this earlier and then trailed off and forgot about it, is the fact that she does this for the king three times. He's like, great, you're my wife, this is going to be wonderful. And then at no point after that is he like, incidentally, can you spend some more gold for me? Because yeah. Stiltskin never shows back up to help her with that again. So like, it's very strange to me that they can live the rest of their life without him being, hey, the coffers are getting a little empty, why don't you go and spend <laughs> some more gold? And she's like, uh, Tug's collar. <laughs> So, I, I, I don't know. I realize this is just one of those things when you try to apply logic to fairy tales. It's, it's, it's folly, right? You're not going to be able to do it. So, all right. So, here's the thing. There's basically a version. I have two, right? I have two that I sort of came up with. One of them crumbled like cornbread earlier today upon inspection. Because <laughs> I just, I poked at it gently yeah. whenever I had it written down. And then it's just, like, just like collapsed in front oh, of my eyes. And I was like, I want to know what it is. Okay, so this is the flimsy one, right? Okay. The flimsy one. So, first of all, I'm going to say something real quick. I hate the name Rumpelstiltskin so much. It sounds goofy. I think if you're going to have a character named that, you have to find some way to abbreviate it. And once upon a time, I already did the Rumpel thing, mm -hmm. so I don't want to do that either. So I had looked up the etymology of the name, and Rumpelstiltskin translates from German as little rattlestilt, which is the based on the concept that like these little goblins would run around hitting things with sticks and making a lot of noise. Yeah. Because little goblins are noisy. If you hear something in the woods, it's like, aha, it must be the gnomes, whatever. So I just call him Rattlestick in all these versions just because I needed a name that sounded less ridiculous than Rumpelstiltskin. Mm -hmm. So the version that fell apart... All right. So it all started from this. It started from this concept I had in my head that the princess woman character in this version is probably someone whose dad had died. Her parents are both dead, and she's probably, I, I don't know, she owns a mill or a shop or something. And the whole concept of her spinning straw into gold is a metaphor for business acumen, where it's just like, hmm. shit, you're so fucking good at what you do. Like, you could take this bundle of straw and turn it into gold because, like, you're so fucking clever. You know how business works. You know how people work. And there was originally just a concept where it was something like, 
a guy kidnaps her because he says that she because he believes that she could turn straw into gold. She's like, no, you fucking dummy. It's a metaphor. I can't really turn straw into gold. And he's like, uh oh. She was like, I'm just really good at making yeah. money. Is yeah. this a, still an old timey setting? Like, yes. Okay. Yeah, it is. She's just like, oh. It's, but the problem was, I never knew where to go from there. Basically, okay. and it was like, is it the is it like the is prince slash not, king kidnapping yeah. her? Is it Rumpelstiltskin kidnapping her? I, I don't know. It was such a shame to me that I could never think of anything beyond that because I really thought that was a solid hook for, like, this character. Yeah. But I just never figured out where to go with it. The, so what that kind of evolved lumpily into is more of a heist-type movie. And the heist-type movie was basically going to be her, Rattlestick, who is this, um, like, you'd still want to fuck him, right? Like, he's hunky. Yeah. But he's, he's like, uh, weird. Rumpelstiltskin that fucks. Right. This Rumpelstiltskin totally fucks. Yeah. So, like, you know, he's, he's not, like, a little gnome man, but, like, maybe his... Well, I mean, he, he, that whole character reeks of, like, a fae, right? Like, where he's, like, you mm-hmm. say my name, it, like, names have power. Like, so right. I, I, could easily, I could easily picture him as, like, a sort of, like, long, slender, like... Right. Elfin type guy, right? Maybe with a, some kind of like weird high hair. I was just thinking, like maybe he, like his skin is a slightly different color. Maybe he has yeah. some kind of facial markings or something He's got like that. Pointy ears or something, right? Weird eyes. Yeah. I think also in my version, like he has like a staff or something because maybe he is in some way um, disabled. I thought was the initial thought of it that he's like kind of this crafty thief type character and it's like it's not that he can conjure gold from nowhere it's just that he's a really fucking good thief so it appears as Mm -hmm. though he could just like whip something out from nowhere but actually of course he stole it and it was going to be her rattlestick and a character who was a prince in exile and it was going to sort of end up being this thing I'm going to do like a really shitty job of explaining it you can also easily see why this didn't end up working where the three of them were teaming up to steal something from the castle of a greedy king. And it turns out kind of that the king doesn't really exist. And it was just sort of a story about like, his advisors were like these old, like corrupt men. And they were just sort of like, if we keep up the myth of like this very powerful, very evil king, we can sort of like keep living a very comfortable life for the rest of our lives. And like scapegoat this. Right, no one will be any any the wiser. And so it's just sort of like, you can build up this sense of like the power of a name because we can all be like, oh, it's evil king, whoever the fuck it is. Mm -hmm. Like he's the one who's oppressing everyone. You have to give your taxes to him. Like really sorry. He's also magic, so he's got to live forever. (laughs) It's just sort of this idea that like, you know, we can keep, you know, living comfortable lives. Our children will comfortable lives. It was just kind of this idea of like these fucking awful rich people are, you know, oppressing all of you. And so it's just like, it sort of devolved from like the concept of them going to steal something to the idea of them trying to figure out like what it is that holds sway over the people of this kingdom. Mm-hmm. And I think you can sort of see from there why it didn't really entirely work. It sort of it starts off in one genre and goes into another thing because I couldn't figure out how to make a heist movie, something that really worked like mm. it basically like you can't graft Rumpelstiltskin onto a heist movie and have it entirely be successful you know like there's probably a way to do it but not a way that I was really responding to it would just it would it would be so hard to keep it from sliding into basically being like Shrek 4 you know well, what I mean the, the, yeah. the heist I just mean like I love the idea I'm just saying like in execution I feel like it could fall into that pretty easily there's this idea um so this is not, this is just a stupid idea um, off the top of my brain, but mm-hmm. there, there's this, like, uh, concept a lot with, like, fairy-based magic that, like, it's, like, oath-bound or, like, and there's a thing about, like, favors needing to be returned, so, like, fairies can't accept shit because ha- they have to then give that in return or something. So the idea that there's all these, like, loopholes to power in it, it that you might have, any magical powers that you might have, could maybe come into play where the heist is that 
Rumpelstiltskin can only make the gold because of a bargain being made. Mm. Um, but then it's her job to steal it back so that they can run away with it. I mean, that, that would work, frankly, right? Like, it's like just an idea of like how to maybe do it. But yeah, it, it is. I, I see what you mean that it like kind of. It feels like it turns into Robin Hood halfway. No, yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. I just really yeah. like it, it. Was the idea that like I have these three characters, and that's kind of like, but what are they doing? Yeah. And then the other problem I kept having is like, but why are they all together? Like, what do they all possibly want that you know all three of them can team up to get? Why is Rumpelstiltskin there? Like, what does he need these people for? Yeah. And so it was one of those things where like I thought I had, it, and then the more I kept like pulling at threads, the more it just sort of tore mm. apart in front of my eyes. So, like, that all collapsed into a pile of letters on a Google Doc earlier today. The other thing that I had kind of hit on is when I was thinking about the story of Rumpelstiltskin, I was like, well, there's a version of this where the entire fairy tale as we know it is the first five minutes of a movie, <laughs> where it's just like, you already know what happens, right? And then it's sort of like, well, what happens after all of this goes on? So it's basically a springboard for a bigger story. And so my idea is that in this version of the story, it opens with a prologue, and you see the fairy tale much as we know it, except in the end, he basically tells the queen, well, guess my name, guess it fucking right now, or I'm going to take your kid. And she's like, I, I don't know, is it Walter? And he's like, nope, and disappears with the kid. And so, like, that's it. Then we start into the story. <laughs> so the story as I want it to be is basically that Rattlestick lives with this adopted child, and I want him to have some sort of, like, uh, it feels like an easy thing to say, but, like, Mother Gothel from Tangled Energy, mm -hmm. where it's sort of, like, he's kind of, like, slinky and mysterious and just, like, a little bit shifty yeah. around her. And the daughter is, you know, she's fun and smart and spunky, and I think she's going to have some sort of distinguishing physical characteristic. And my thought was that she has just, like, a bit of, like, gold in her hair. Mm. Like, maybe she's redheaded, but she has, like, a thread of gold kind of running through her hair. So he lives with her in the forest with a bunch of other sort of, like, wood spritey natural spirit type things, which I assume Rattlestick is one of. Mm. Like, they're just sort of these things who, you know, they love the earth, they love the nature, that's what they deal with, they don't want to deal with people whatsoever. He always tells her... Don't go up to people. If you ever see a person, like, fucking run the other way. They're awful. They're always digging up the earth, stealing jewels. You know, they're, they're tearing down trees, building castles. Just don't have anything to do with it. Yeah. Naturally, of course, she runs into this kid, like, this young, like, probably page boy or something who happens to work at the palace where her mom and dad were at. So they're starting to form this friendship, and obviously she's not telling Rattlestick about this because she's like, well, he always said not to do this, so, you know, can't tell him. That sort of keeps escalating to the point where she sneaks into the castle with him. They're all having hijinks or something in the castle, and all of a sudden they walk in on the queen, and the queen sees her and is like, you've got a gold thing in your hair. That's interesting. I had a daughter who, you know, had red hair with a gold streak in it, and then that fucking little chimp guy yeah. came and stole him away from me. Like, I, I, I don't want to say definitively, but it sure seems to be like you're my daughter whom I've sort of been missing all this time. And she's like... I'm sorry, like, you're telling me that this guy who's been raising me is actually not, in fact, my father? And she's like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I'm your actual mother. He stole you away from me. Like, please, will you come back? And she's like, need some time to think about this shit. So she goes back to Rattlestick, and she's like, I I'm sorry, like, I just heard this thing from this queen about how I might actually be her daughter. She gave me this list of reasons as to why this is the case. And he's like, oh boy, yeah, well, look, 
I definitely stole you. This was something. <laughs> there was an agreement. There was going to be. We were never going to be older. We're going to have to talk. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to be the birds and the bees. It's going to be where the yeah. fuck did I steal you from? And she's like, well, well, this is absolute bullshit. I'm running away from you. Like, I don't know why you did this to me. I don't want to hear you out. But I am going back to the palace to spend time with my parents. I'm going to live with them now. Like, fuck you, you crazy little person. How dare you do this to me? Mm-hmm. She gets back there and she realizes that, in fact, what he did was he took her from her parents because her parents are fucking awful people. Her dad's a greedy asshole. Her mom's a fucking idiot. And it's just sort of like now that they have her back, they're going to use her as leverage for Rattlestick, where it's like, now, will you please let us know, like, what his name is, what his deal is, and where we can find him so that we can, like, stop his fucking antics from, you know, interrupting our mining, interrupting, right. like, our, you know, raising of the forest and all that shit. And she's like, oh, actually, it turns out what he was doing was a good thing. And, like, it wasn't a good thing that he, you know, never told me about this, but, like, I kind of get where he's coming from. And so that they have their own little sort of reconciliation at the end. There's obviously some means with where her birth parents are defeated in some way. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of like, you know, I, I get that I did a bad thing and I, you know, it was wrong of me to not tell you who you actually were, but... You know, I, I was doing this for what I thought was the right reasons at the time. I now see that, you know, obviously I wasn't exactly doing this all on the level and I should have done things a little bit differently. I am sorry about that. And she's like, that's great. I get that. We're going to disband this entire castle thing. I'm going to go forth with the page boy guy and we're going to figure out, like, who I actually am. Like, what is my own identity? My identity is not my parents. My identity is not you. I don't know who I am and that's what I want to find out. Okay. And so that's where it ends. And then this old lady comes up to her and is like, what's your last name? And she's like, Skywalker. <laughs> Do you remember? Do you remember when we when we recorded Valerian? Yeah. You also walked us into that reference during that episode, and I listened to I listened back to it, and I got sucked in again. Right? <laughs> what did you do in that episode? Oh, I don't that's remember. right. What not, did I, yeah. What did I do? Not Valerian and Jupiter Ascending. I got the mix oh, up. Okay. But um, oh, I, I say <laughs> I say I say at one point that like oh yeah, it would have been really interesting. Uh, it was your idea. Like what if her, what if Jupiter's family was wasn't in the picture? And I was like, yeah, that would be really interesting. It'd be like when she says she's no one, she could like really mean it. And you're like, yeah. And then when someone asked her what her last name is, she could be like, Skywalker. <laughs> Skywalker. Uh, so I will say, honestly, though, that, that is a genuine pitch up until the part where the old lady yeah, shows up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I get it. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, no one, no one's bringing it. It wasn't that long of a walk just for a drink. Clowning on it. I love it. Do you know what dynamic I would want to see uh, with a Rumpelstiltskin story yeah. between the two main characters, the girl that spins the straw on Rumpelstiltskin? Mm-hmm. I'd want it to be uh, my favorite creepy ship, uh, Peter and Sansa. <laughs> <laughs> I'd want it to be a narrative where oh. like all these men are trying to fuck this girl over, and right. this, this one guy is like, let me teach you how to fuck them over. I'm going to steer you through this. Yeah. That's the kind of what the that is interesting. Except yeah. unlike Littlefinger, he won't just leave her in the rape castle and be like, oh, "Good yeah. luck." Seems like you're not kidding me. The writers will forget that he's like the. Smart, he's actually very smart. Yeah, he's a very smart, <laughs> cunning person, and probably sees through that bullshit. Anyway, will his voice get raspier as it goes on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, then it's, uh, he was truly. Uh, he was just like wheezing through yeah. his lines by the end. Uh, <laughs> Anyhow, all right. I have. A, I have. I have a second one that I got way more into. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a lot, but yep, let's anyway. come with you. Alright, let me briefly go over on my one of my favorite fairy tales, probably like top three, East of the Sun, West of the Moon. I'm like I'm a little obsessed with this story. Um, but it's basically like it's a Norwegian uh, or some Nordic country origin. You can say like um, Europe. Yeah, and you basically have this poor family and usually someone in it is dying. Uh, and this pair shows up. And it's like, hey, I got a lot of money. I'll give you the money if uh, you can, if I can marry one of your daughters. 
And one of the daughters is like, sure, that sounds like a good deal. My sister slash mother slash whatever is dying, and great if they didn't. Um, so she goes with this bear back to his, like, fancy castle, and the bear's like, this is my fancy castle. You may live here. You may enjoy it. At night, uh, just get in this bed, and don't look at me. That's the rule. Um, and so she gets into bed at night, and, like, every night that she gets into bed, this, like, figure gets into bed beside her. Like, it's a man. It's clearly, like, a man. It's not a bear. And she's like, okay, I guess I'm not supposed to look. That's the rule. So she doesn't. And she feels homesick one day, and she's like, can I go home? And the bear's like, yeah, sure. Just don't do this. And it's the, this is different and everything. And the one I'm reading from the Wikipedia, it's it's uh, don't speak to your mother alone in a room. <laughs> I don't know why it's that. But it's whatever. It's don't do X right. while you're home. But eventually home, X is do done. X. Yeah. She does. She goes home. Her mother keeps trying to get her into a room by herself. Um, and the mother, she is like, so what's your life like? And the daughter explains the whole getting into bed at night situation. And the mother's like... <laughs> You have probably married a troll, and what you should do is get a look at his face. So I'm going to give you this candle, and you're going to get a look at his face. Um, so she goes home. She does that. She puts the candle, and it's a beautiful man in bed. And he wakes up because of the wax hits his face, and he's like, Oh my god, if we had done this for like a half more year, I would have been free from my curse, but now I have to go marry a troll and go with, live with the troll in her castle. And he, I do love how commonplace troll marriages yes. in this society so I he, also like how <laughs> it, it is truly one of my favorite things that the bear has a castle. This is not questioned. Yeah, like, bear's castle. He is a prince, but he's now he's going to marry a troll. Uh, he's cursed to be buried in the day, hop away at night. You couldn't break the curse, so now he's got to go do this stepmother's thing. <laughs> bear so, by day, twink by night. <laughs> so I, he, she wakes up the next morning, and the palace is gone, and he's gone, and she's like, oh shit. So she goes to find. Uh, where he is and she starts walking and she sees this old woman and she's like hey I you know this guy do you know where this guy is and she's like no maybe my sister does here have an apple a golden apple and she goes to the lady's sister and he's like no I don't know here have this like golden comb or something uh, and she goes to the other sister she keeps getting sent around to all these different sisters um, the last sister is like I don't know um, maybe try like the west wind and she gives her a golden loom so he's got three golden things from three sisters she goes to every single wind. She goes to the west wind. No, I don't know, maybe the east wind. I don't know, maybe the south wind. She finally goes to the north wind and is like, do you know, oh, sorry, I forgot that one person, I forget at what point she learns this, but one person says, oh, it's the last sister, says, I know where the prince is, but I don't know where it is, but it's the palace that's east of the sun and west of the moon. So maybe the west wind can take you there. So the west wind is like, no, I can't take you there. East wind says, no, I can't take you there. South wind says, no, I can't take you there. The north wind says, yeah, I think I blew a leaf there once. Um, but I felt really tired afterwards. But if you really want to go, I'll take you. Um, so the North Wind takes her there. And she arrives at this palace where there's, like, a you know, troll stepmother and an, a, her ugly troll daughter who is going to marry the prince. And she talks to the troll princess and is like, hey, can I speak to him? And she's like, yeah, sure. And she gives the prince a sleeping potion, puts them in a room together, and the prince is asleep. She can't talk to him. Um, and in repayment for seeing him, she has to give away the apple. And she's like, hey, can I try it again? And she does it again, same thing, sleeping potion. She gives away the comb to speak to him. He's still being. By this point, people in the castle are, like, wandering around, and they tell the prince, like, yo, your girlfriend is here, and she's trying to talk to you, but you keep you, you keep drinking the sleeping potion from the troll princess, which <laughs> she can't. He's like, ah, shit. Um, so the next night, he, like, doesn't drink the potion. She gives away the loom. She talks to the prince, and the prince is like, all right, so if here's what we can do to break this curse. I can tell... Uh, basically, like, I'll tell the, my, my stepmother, I, if, I'll marry the person who, like, does X, and you'll be able to do X, and the troll princess won't. 
Uh, and so the next day, they do that, and she frees them from the marriage, and he gets to marry the girl and go home. Now, I don't know. There's so many, like, I don't know why it, it's that easy, there. apparently. Like, what, yeah, you had to marry her, but, like, right, you, now just, you have like Now that you have a loophole, it's you totally You can just set a condition right. on that, yeah. simply. Right. But whatever. That's how it goes. Now and we they, can renegotiate. They get to marry happily ever after. Now, what I am obsessed with in this story is how it is dominated by women, mm-hmm. and how it is... Like the the devote like the the notion of like I'm obsessed with this idea that like this woman is kind of responsible for fucking this guy over, but then like goes to like the fucking beyond all possible known like mapped lands to get him back, and it, like with really no preparation or, or thought about it, just does it. And I, I don't know, I really that is that idea. Fun. Um, and I I had a lot of ideas for how to do it. What I've landed on is uh, a science fiction concept. Um, so. The main character of the story is Liv, who lives somewhere in the Arctic or the Antarctic, some incredibly remote, like, absolutely, there's, like, it's her and her sister and its cabin in a town, that, that, like, a town of ten is maybe a mile away or something, like, it's, like, I spend a lot of time on Google, I do this a lot, actually, I spend a lot of time on Google Maps looking at, like, Greenland or, like, Antarctica, yeah, yeah, or, like, settlements. Yeah. yeah, just, like, what is it like to live down there? So somewhere like that where... She's just sort of like kind of a city down there, but she has a ship, and for a price, she will like take scientists or independent researchers or or like you know exotic tourists. Like I'll take you out into the wilds of Alaska or Antarctica mm-hmm. um, to do whatever you need to do, and I'll protect you and keep you safe while I'm doing it. So she she has this as for a living, and uh, it happens to be that she lives with her sister or her mother or one other woman who's not doing very well, and she's worried about it because. To leave and go get help is is a bad. It's potentially bad, and it's it's winter, so it's really hard to travel there. And she doesn't know what to do about it. Um, and then out of nowhere, this guy shows up on like another boat and says like, "Hey, I need someone to take me to like this coordinate." Um, and I, you're, you're the, they told me that like you're the only one that has a, a boat that can go there right now. And um, I do have a lot of money, so you're in luck. Um, and she does it, even though it's like a really like, like almost suicidal time to be going to this place. Um, in response, in exchange for like having the guy that brought her take her sister back to like the nearest place where there's like medical facilities, mm-hmm. um, so she goes with him on like on their boat, and he's like insistent that like yeah don't worry there's like um, I have like a research station out there and she knows these lands and she's like there is there's nothing out there, but he's convinced and they they get there and there is like a surprisingly established like little habitat that's been mm-hmm. set up like nothing crazy but like you know some sort of like metal you know, kind of, or shipping container asked, like, tiny little place where they can live, um, and he's got to be out there for, like, a few weeks, so they spend a few weeks just, like, he's doing weird research, and all he says is, like, you know, don't go out at night even if you hear stuff, because, like, it might be animals or, like, you know, just don't, just not a good idea, um, and there is, like, weird noises at night sometimes, but she does her best to ignore them. Um, at some point she starts expressing that she's worried, and during this time they also, like, grow close, this guy is named Espen, um, he, uh, they kind of bond over, he's, he claims that he's like an environmental researcher and he, he has a lot of love for the planet and he's only looking for, um, ways to like counteract climate change basically. Oh. And they kind of bond over that. Uh, and they both have, they're both kind of like people that are, are comfortable like with their sort of secluded existences. And he kind of tells her how like his parents slash higher ups don't really like approve of what he's doing. Um. But he's determined to, like, see it through. Uh, and he, like, oh, they're, like, looking for any reason to, like, call me home. But, like, you know, I gotta do this. I'm here for a reason. Um, 
And one night she explains she's like really worried about her sister, and he lets her use his like you know shortwave radio, or whatever, yeah. something that like she can talk to her sister with. Um, and all all he says is like just don't like mention what I'm doing out here or anything. Mm. Just like you know, it's kind of like I don't really want people to know that I'm here. And she does talk to her sister, and her sister's doing a little better. Um, but her sister's like, you know, people have been, like, asking about that guy. Um, I don't know. It seems really, really shady. Like, and she it basically plants the seeds that, like, this guy could be, like, a criminal or, like, a terrorist or, like, you know, like, government people, spooky people have been looking for this guy. Um, and so she gets, like, a little nervous about that. So that night when she hears the noises, she, like, starts to investigate. She stumbles on this, like, weird stuff that he's working on. And in the process of investigating, it accidentally trips this thing, and suddenly there's this, like, weird, crazy, spooky noise or, like, light or something, some sci-fi thing. Uh, I don't know what it's gonna look like, but it should be, like, a sudden change from this, like, very, like, staid, normal world to, like, wow, that was weird. Mm. Um, And he kind of, like, runs out panicked and has barely enough time to explain, like, okay, um, like, you have to do X, Y, Z, or, like, this is going, like, this area is going to blow up. And then suddenly he just disappears. Um, and she manages to do it in time, and she, her instructions lead her down to this, like, secret lower level where there's, like, a secret underground thing um, where it's, like, basically like a spaceship. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been activated to self-destruct. Um, so she manages to turn it off, and in doing so, she attunes to this, like, shipboard AI that I'm calling SIS. Um, I don't know, I don't, or CISC, I don't know, but, like, something that, some acronym or something, um, that has, hey, like a, a female apps, uh, appearance or voice sure. or something, um, and CIS is able to explain, like, oh, like, yeah, so probably what happened is, um, because, like, he, yeah, oh, yeah, he was, Espen was, like, from so-and-so planet, and he was given rare permission to come here under strict terms of, like, not revealing anything, you know, being completely secret, and part of that condition is, like, if there is any risk of discovery, like, he's instantly recalled from where he is. And his ship, if it can fly back, would be set to fly back. And if not, it would self-destruct. Um, and because the ship was, like, not fully functional, that's why the self-destruct triggered. But because he might not be with his ship, basically those two things happen separately. Like, he has, there's, like, some other weird sci-fi method through which he just vanishes. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's basically, like, back to where his planet is. Um... And she kind of realizes the gravity of what she's done, and she, like, the sis explains, like, yeah, he was here um, basically trying to, like, fix climate change. Um, like, he was working on, on, on the, and, but, like, you know, a lot of people on their, where they come from are kind of apathetic about that because they don't really think it's their problem or whatever. Um, but he was really passionate about it and so-and-so. And she's, she also now has access to, like, all of his journals and recordings and, like, his, you know, like, what he's been up to the whole time. Uh, and so she starts to learn more about him, and she decides, like, well, I guess we, I guess I will get him back. Um, and so she asks us what it would take, and Sis explains, like, well, the ship's not fully functional, so you would need to get a bunch of stuff. I'll tell you what you need to get. Um, you also are going to need someone who has some level of, like, aeronautical or aerospace training, um, because I can't teach you everything that you need to know, um, to fly the ship. And it also would take probably more than one person. Um, so she goes to the other, like, two other... I wanted to keep the Antifa 3s. Um, so there are, like, two other sites that he set up across the world that she has to go to, and at those sites she finds more of his, like, recordings and journals, and she also finds, you know, parts that she needs mm-hmm. to fly the ship. Um, one of the things she's trying to track down from, like, the traditional sort of... or traditional black market, I guess, <laughs> uh, is purchased from this sort of, like, embittered 
would-be astronaut named Amihan, um, who, like, basically is some woman who's, like, middle-aged now, so she's kind of, like, blew her shot, but, like, some... Experience. Some bullshit happened where she couldn't join NASA or couldn't... Mm. She missed her shot to go into space, and she's now sort of, like, a civilian keenly interested in, in it, and uh, in, after she purchases a thing that she needs for Amihan, um, she's like, oh, if you're going... Are you going to space? Like, fuck it, I'll, I'll do it. I don't give a shit if I die up there. Like, I'm, like, 50, like, I'm not... Like, I, I've wanted to go to space. Um, I really don't care what you've got going on. I'm in. Like, she's just kind of this, like, crazy, like, I don't care what happens to me, woman. Um, and so she gets... They're, the, they're, the three of them are able to, like, power the ship up, and they get into space. And because of this sort of semi-functional state, they reach it. Sis explains, like, okay, well, it's not going to be able to go as fast, like, normally. So you'll get there, but it's going to take maybe a few weeks that you'll experience. But, like, by the time you get back, at least 10 years will have passed on Earth. Um, <laughs> And she's like, all right, I guess that's what we're doing. And during the trip to, um, they're going to a station. At this point, like, names are kind of tricky because, like, I don't know what what aliens would name things or mm-hmm. what their language would be. But I'm calling the space station they're going to Stirnerborg, which is um, Tycho Brahe's underground observatory, which means Star Castle. <laughs> um, so that's just the name I came up with it for now. Um, where that's where they're headed to, and it's some sort of, like, you know, light years away. The nearest outpost, which is, like, still many, many light years away which is where he would have been recalled to. Um, and on the trip, uh, I, I'm not married to this, but I like the idea that they have to fix something outside the ship, but it's like a suicide mission, so Amihan has to like go outside and like uh, do something to the ship and then mm-hmm. just die out there because she can't, like, she can't get back in when she's out there. Um, I'm not married to that, but I kind of like the North Wind being like, you know what, like really almost killed me to do this to blow a leaf there, but... I'll take you there mm-hmm. uh, if you really need to go. And I kind of like the, that just, like, character, that figure of just, like, fuck it. I'm, I'm, I don't care if I die. I'm close to the end of my rope. Let's go. Yeah, let's do it. Fuck it. So I kind of like the idea that she would just be happy. Like, that's her, like, she's already done the most, like, she's gone farther than anyone else has gone in space at this point, and she's like, yeah, I'm fine with that. Um, but she doesn't have to die. I just kind of like that idea. Yeah. Um, so anyway, they get to the station, and she is met by a... AI, droid, interface, whatever, called, and I'm going to call Rook. At this point, I don't know why they're all chess-themed, but they're all chess-themed. Um, because I didn't know what to call them, really, so I came up with the chess theme. So Rook is, the, like, the liaison interface. Um, that basically represents the sort of, like, well, you got here, and you're human. Okay, um, well, uh, what do you want? And she explains, like, she was, like, she knew Espen, and she wants to, like, speak to him. Um, and he's like, okay, well, this is kind of unprecedented, so we're going to have to, like... I'll go back and I'll see what I can do. You are definitely not allowed to leave. Uh, you stay here. So he leaves her with a, like, Sentinel-class droid interface called Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, so Knight is there, like, discarding them, basically, while Rook is sort of liaising back and forth. And Rook comes back and says, like, yeah, you can talk to him. Um, but, you know, he's uh, coming back kind of changes you, so he might be different from what you remember, blah, blah, blah. And she gets taken to this, like, obscure, you know, kind of, like, maybe um, a rival-esque room where there's just, like, foggy glass, <laughs> and you can't really see what is going on on the other side of yeah. it. Um, and he's not responsive, and she's not even sure if that's him. Mm-hmm. And she's calling out to him, and he's not saying anything. And, and uh, Rick is basically like, yeah, we'll give you, like, three days, and if he really wants to go home, he can. But um, after that, we're going to have to wipe your memory and just, and just send you home. Or if you can't go home, sorry, you're going to die. Mm. Um, that's just how it is. Um, and, you know, they kind of just basically this dispassionate, like, we don't really care too much about you. Um, you should not have been able to come here. And it's kind of amusing that you were here, but now that you're here, we don't really know what to do with you. Um, and, and meanwhile, like, Knight and Sis and Liv have kind of bonded a little bit. 
and Knight starts to feel sympathetic, and he starts spreading, he starts feeling out, sending out feelers, and realizes that Espen is, like, being held somewhere else, and has not been informed that his ship has arrived with Liv on it, mm-hmm. um, and he gets word out, and I kind of like this idea that I don't want to go too much into, like, what the alien shit looks like, mm-hmm. like, what does the spaceship look like, and so I kind of like this idea that there's this contextualized simulation that she sees because she's not allowed to see the real what's thing. going on. And so this idea that like he's able to show her where what what, what the state that Espen is in, but it's contextualized for what a human might expect that to be. So like she kind of sees him in like a jail cell or something. Mm-hmm. Like this idea that he's like isolated, alone, not able to talk to anyone. And so I kind of like that you can even introduce some fairy tale aesthetics here because mm-hmm. Um, this is just like this is our best representation of what is going on with your boy right now. You could even lay it into it being like the simulation shows some things that might be yeah. familiar to someone. Yeah. Like this is what we think humans should be seeing, um, because we're definitely not gonna show you what it really looks like. Um, and so she's able to like see him in that context and they're able to have a brief conversation. And he sees that she's brought all of his like journals and research back and he says, like, okay, well there's one person I think that there's like one figure on the ship that I think would be sympathetic um, to this cause. And might be able to turn things around for us. So she he gives, uh, she he tells her to like reach out to the queen, um, a figure that he refers to as the queen, and like to give him all of these journals that she's collected, um, and which she does. And the queen is another like female, like sort of like a female appearing figure mm-hmm. who's very like elusive, um, and she's able to score a meeting with them and, and give them information. And I think it would end with like yeah they they get basically like snuck off the ship um, with the condition that like. This is not sanctioned by whatever powers that be are controlling the station, and it's probably like a one-way trip for both of them, where they're, they're neither of them are coming back, um, and they are able to get home. That sounds really good. Yeah, that's like, I mean, that, that sounds like a similarly kind of like big epic. Yeah. as the fairy tale. Yeah, I think uh, grafting sci-fi onto it was a pretty clever idea. I do too. That fits really. Yeah, I really, I really fell in love with that idea. Like. It's weird how I hadn't, like, I had this idea in my brain so strongly of, like, I want this, like, uh, having to go to the ends of the earth, and I was like, I don't really know how to do that um, in a modern-day setting. And then I realized, like, oh yeah, space. Yeah. Like, that would be, like, what the would be the, the equivalent of, like, going somewhere that's impossible to go to yeah. and then having to go there and come back. I think that is a smart escalation, because, you know, like, in the... The Bronze Age form of humanity were like to the ends of the earth. Yeah. What? <laughs> the farthest part north. Whereas now, of course, we're like yeah, let's get a plane to Russia. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's that's smart because you're. I think you are effectively uh, preserving that grand scope. Yeah. While you're moving it forward. Yeah. And the whole climate change thing. I don't really know. I kind of stumbled upon that, and I'm not married to it, but I kind of liked. If I'm doing sci-fi and I'm thinking about like why is this alien here, and that's maybe a good reason, and like. It would be a nice antidote to the remake of The Day of the Earth. I was just thinking, I assume that's what you were drawing Yeah, from. it's yeah. like a, a more hopeful version of <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, 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 Of, like, you know, like, you're allowed... The idea was that he was allowed to do things that... Like, you could intervene to the extent that no one knows that someone alien is fucking around on Earth. Like, mm-hmm. so you can do things that humans can do, and you can also maybe do some sneaky stuff with alien tech as long as no one fucking finds out what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's... And that, so that he... It's not like he's, like, there to save us in some magical way. He's right. just there to, like, make sure that maybe some reefs survive or, you know, like, like this, you know, because that, I, I listened to a Reply All episode recently, too, about, um, uh, basically one of the members of Reply All being, like, a climate doom, doom person, like, that the world is doomed and why, kind of like a nihilist about it. 
and how the, one of the other members actually has a podcast um, that's like a semi-optimistic take on, on... It's like a podcast about like what can we do about climate change. And it's, it's saying, like, yes, uh, all the reefs are probably going to die. That we can't do anything about that. What can we do? And just this, this like, practice... They basically have this debate about, like, you know, the, the nihilist stance only takes you so far, and mm-hmm. I want to combat that as much as possible, and I want to combat it with, like, providing people reasonable courses of action for what they can do and get experts in here to explain what are the things we can still prevent. And I like that take of, like, you know... The do maybe has its place at some points, but like I, we need to s- stop that at a certain point and just think about what we can change. Yeah, I mean, they figure that. out what is productive. Yeah, and, and depends so, on which wolf you feed. Yeah, <laughs> there are two wolves inside you. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. I I appreciate that uh, we all went into very different directions yeah. with this. I wasn't um, expecting. Um, I mean, I, I did know that Brendan had a heist idea at some point, but I, I know you didn't go through with that. And I certainly wasn't expecting a sword and sandals kind of Greek. <laughs> <laughs> that is what it's called, right? That sort of yeah, Greek. Yeah. yeah, sword and sandals. Because, like, there's been movies about it. There's movies, you know, there's, like, Spartacus, but, mm-hmm. like, that's, like, not a fantasy. You're talking, you want, like, a Greek fantasy, which is, like, not, we don't see that a lot. No, we don't. We see Immortals, which is and- not great. <laughs> I th- yeah, exactly. And I think it's interesting, too, that, like, in my mind, I almost feel like people approach Greco-Roman fantasy as something that is, like, inherently or deeply separate from fairy tales, and I just don't yeah. think so. I mean, I think... Well, they- because one's real, Chris. <laughs> um, I just think, really, the only thing separating them is aesthetics. I think, like, maybe to most people, when you hear fairy tales, you think of something distinctly European, but I think it's referencing something much broader yeah. that includes other aesthetics and that, yeah, I just thought it was exciting. And I'm I, I'm pleased that we all went in such different directions. Yeah, yeah. yeah this was fun. We should do more of these. They are harder to do because we all want to take our time. I know. Well. I know this did. I, I feel like I could have still used another week or so to really... Yeah. To yeah. really yeah. massage yeah. it out. Yeah. yeah, especially after it fell apart. I was mm. like, ooh. <laughs> Wish I had a few more days to think about this one. All right, well, I don't want to take up any more of your time. Let's we'll find other genres movies. to do this, yeah, though. This was fun. Yeah, we'll think about other shit. Yeah. Um, hit us up in two weeks for yeah. Oz the Oz Great, the Great Powerful. Powerful. Bye! Bye!